it's, uh, it's a little cold in the air today. It feels like fall. And I, I, after I get over the, the, the loss, the devastation of the loss of summer, I kind of like fall. Anybody actually like fall? Uh, one of the things, obviously, about fall that if it feels cold like it does today, the first thing I want to do is I want to start a fire in my home because I grew up in the household of someone who is serious and passionate about his wood stove. My dad loved his wood stove like no one, it was almost borderline unhealthy. Like this man, he was the most obscenely obsessive person when it came to heating his home. He had a zero electricity bill goal, I think, uh, throughout like from September through May, not messing with baseboard heating, none of this kerosene stuff. It's wood or bust for my dad. Now, the home I grew up in was in Marysville in Fredericton. It's just a little split entry. It's a small little house. That, although my parents sold that, that is still my home. So there's some people squatting in there that apparently own it now, but that's still my house. And uh, I grew the first, teen, ni- first 19 years of my life. I lived there and uh, just fond memories. But in the basement of the split entry, you went in and on the left, the stairs went up and on the right, they went down and it kind of filled out into a family room and my room was right next to it. My brother's on the other side. And there was a big iron, cast iron wood stove there. Much like this one, our friends from Valley Home and Hearth lent me this today. Now mine wasn't quite this nice. My dad's wasn't quite this nice. My dad's had the, the steel front with the double doors, you know what I'm talking about? And it had like the trees on it. Anybody know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And my dad, like, I'm, I'm, I, I, you think I'm exaggerating? You could not sit on the couch and watch television in clothing. You just couldn't do it. It was just too much information, I know. But I think my dad had a goal because like, he didn't really care what my brother and I cared wanted. He wanted it nice and perfectly warm upstairs. So if he kept it at 40 degrees heat in the air in the basement, that would be a nice cool 20, 21 upstairs. I think he wanted heated floors. That's what he was after. And so he had the thing. He's just always raging. He was meticulous about it. I remember every August, I, I hated this, had to stack wood with my dad, like, all right, son, here comes 16 cords of wood. We're going to stack it like, like every year. It's a true Ingersoll thing. I, I used to come and visit my uncle or my cousin, Brad, who was my, my uncle, Don, who was the senior pastor here for a number of years. And every time I visited, I had to stack wood. It was like payment to stay in an Ingersoll house. You had to stack wood. So, but my dad was hardcore and it was so hot. I kid you not. I would sleep in the dead of winter with my bedroom window wide open to try to offset the heat that was raging through the wall. Like it was that hot. You think I'm exaggerating. The drop ceiling above the place where the fire was, was warped and melted. No joke. Pastor Dell can attest to this. He had the, the, the joy of sleeping on the futon down next to the fire a couple nights as our band was traveling in college. And I'm pretty sure he was, he like got up out of bed that morning as like a piece of dry beef jerky, just like totally steamed and sucked out. Like it's just not like, I'm telling you, my dad knew how to create a raging fire. And like, if it wasn't roaring, if you couldn't hear it raging and roaring, it wasn't warm enough. He had one temperature on. And so he was this awesome fire maker. But I remember like he, when I was really little, he'd let me like throw a stick on the fire. Hey, Brent, go throw a stick on the fire, he would say. And I'd run into the wood room and I'd take the stick and I'd open the door and throw it in and shut the door and feel like I helped make the fire. 
But then I learned when I got a little older, my dad asked me, he said, son, hey, uh, you know what? You're going to be home from school before I get there. The fire isn't on. Can you start a fire? And I'm thinking, of course I can start a fire. I've been watching you do it. I've been feeling the heat my whole life. I'm your son, aren't I? And, I, and so I went home to start a fire and I get like six newspapers and I, and I go over and I open the thing up and crumple up as much newspaper as I could, like you do, right? And I threw it all in, and then I took one nice, big, fat, my dad called it an all-nighter, the big all-nighter log. Yeah, anybody? And I, and I threw the all-nighter in there, lit the thing, and she starts taking off. I'm like, my work here is done. And I shut the door, and I walk away, and I come back a few minutes later, and the thing's out. And I repeated this process through about 16 newspapers. And then I realized that day, I've seen my dad do it. I've benefited from the heat of his stove, but I myself do not have any sweet clue how to take a flame and turn it into a fire that is powerful and sustainable. My, my knowledge only allowed me to light it. It would start up and then it would fizzle out. And this is a picture of a lot of our spiritual lives. We've been talking for the last few weeks about how, how to start a fire. And we've been talking how your life was made for fire. If, you, if, I, if I could run with the analogy for a minute, your life is kind of like a stove. And you're, you were built to actually contain the fire of God, the very presence, the reality of God. And, and we said the first week that when people go searching the world for, for experiences that make them high or somebody they find compelling or beautiful or they look for power or prestige, that what they're actually looking for is the fire of God. That's what's actually missing. And so we talked about how you're built for fire, that, that you are in some, regard, some regards a stove. And then the second week, last week, we, we talked about really good news and we said, you know what, just so you don't think that this fire is a fire that you yourself start, you don't have the power of fire. And we talked about the gift of God's grace. I could just do that message again. I don't know about you, but I just the gift of God's grace, how the fire of God is a gift he gives us, that life, abundant life itself is actually received by grace. We talked about grace, and we used that passage where it said that, that like a burning ember, a hot coal from the presence of God, God has touched us by grace. And that's a good picture of how the fire starts. And so for many of us, we've had experiences where the fire, where we were touched by fire, and it lit up. And it raged for a bit, but over time, just like when I was trying to start the fire in my basement, over time it starts fizzling out and fading out until it goes out. It's funny, last night after service, I saw Pastor Dan and my friend Anthony looking at a picture. And it was a picture of present reality. It was, a, it was a band when I was a teenager, and they were ministering, and Anthony was playing bass, and Dan was leading worship. And, and I, and I, made, a, I made the joke, and I said, yeah, I'm probably at the altar getting saved again. Because I, any church people know what I'm talking about? I had this recurring thing as a child where I would experience what it feels like to be touched by the grace of God, and I would go with that for a while, but then it would fizzle and fade out, and I'd have to get saved again. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't leave me hanging here. Don't judge me. Yeah, like you, you feel like, okay, I went and did some bad stuff, or I did this over here. I got to go get right with God again. And like you go and you end up in this cycle where you keep looking to get touched by grace over and over again. And, and God in his goodness, he'll do that. He'll touch you. But I want to tell you something today. You were made for more than running from grace touch to grace touch 
You were made more from, than, running for, for, than running from experience to experience or mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. That God actually wants you to come to a place in your life where you can take the grace he gives you and you can create the space in your life for it to fan into flame and create a raging fire. That's God's actual goal. And what happens for a lot of us is we don't live our lives like they're stoves to be tended. We live our lives like they're microwaves to be pressed. And we run from book to book or seminar to seminar or conference to conference or preacher to preacher or church to church, hoping that it'll have the magic button to push so I can get zapped and feel like I love Jesus again. Now we know what I'm talking about. But this is not how God has designed your life to work. He created you to actually take the grace he gives you, it's a free gift, and to fan it into flame, to actually tend your soul, to tend your life in such a way that this coal that God gives you called grace, it turns into a flame and then it turns into a fire and then a raging fire, like, much like my dad. My dad just knew how to make fire. And so I wanna talk for a couple minutes about how do, you, how do you create the space in your life? How do you tend your soul in such a way that this fire doesn't just go up and down and fizzle out and you gotta get saved again? How do you actually take grace and let it transform your whole existence. So you are, like Paul says at one point, he says, we go from glory to glory, grace to grace, like new levels upon new levels. Did you know that God wants to deposit grace as the entry point, not the high ceiling? Did you know that your, your salvation experience wasn't meant to be the high watermark of your Christian existence, but that was the doorway? That God has more for you, and I believe he wants us to unlock what it looks like to actually tend the fire of our souls. One time, uh, Paul was writing to his son in the faith. His name was Timothy. Timothy was a great apostle, and he, and he led a church. And, and he said to Timothy, he said, let me remind you, 2 Timothy 1.6, said, let me remind you, fan into flame the gift of God. That's grace, correct? Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, Timothy, you remember that time I came to you and we had that church service and you came forward and present reality were playing. And I came down and I touched your shoulders and I prayed for you and the Holy Spirit rushed into your life and you were lit up like you were just destroyed by the goodness and power of God. You remember that experience where I touched you, where grace touched you? Now your job, Timothy, is to take what God has deposited in you and to fan it into flame. That's actually your job. Here is, here, is a, here is the truth. This is the truth. God fully intends and expects you to manage your soul. He did the hard part. He gave us grace, but now he wants us to learn to walk in him. He wants us to learn how to build our lives in such a way that we do burn that we are full, that we are on fire, that we are full of joy and full of life and meaning. So I want to talk for a couple minutes, and I want to look at Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible, open up there and just stay there. Romans 12 says this, and we're going to look at how does it work? How do you tend to your soul? How do you prepare the place for the fire of God? It says in verse 1, are you with me? Are you awake? Yeah, right. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your proper worship. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice. If you have a Bible, why don't you underline that? If you have a phone Bible, highlight it. 
Offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Now, I, I did some research. I looked up the original Greek of the word body. That struck me because this is what he's asking you to do. Offer your body. And I looked it up. And, and sometimes you'll find really cool treasures if you look up the original language. So I looked it up, and it was the Greek word soma, which translates body. Offer your body. And so I was wondering, okay, does it mean like your, your, your existence? Or does it, what does it mean? No, it means your physical body. It means you're, you're doing, you're saying, you're walking, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're breathing, your body, your life. Offer your very self as a sacrifice. Now, why was he so insistent about saying offer your body? Well, in Paul's day, there was this, this uh, philosophy floating around called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is essentially this belief that the body or matter and spirit were two separate things. And that the only thing God was interested in was what happens with your spirit. That really there's nothing redemptive or good about your body or this world or any matter whatsoever. That it's only the spirit that matters. And so what Gnostics did was they separated the body from the spirit. And they said that it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. Now fortunately this was only a problem in first century Rome. Nobody ever separates what you do with your body from your spirit in our culture. Fortunately, this does not apply. So moving on. Ha! Gnosticism was this idea that these two things are separate, but Paul says, no, no, no. Actually, your body is essential in how your spirit ignites. He says, what you do with your body matters entirely with how your spirit is thriving. That these aren't disconnected and inconsequential, but these are very, these are inseparable realities that your body and your spirit coincide to create the reality of your soul. Did you know when God created humanity, he, he didn't make us just spiritual beings. We're not angels. He didn't make us just animals. We're not just animals. We're not just matter. But God created humanity. He gave us a body and then he breathed his spirit into us. So we are both a spirit and a body. And what you do with your body, how you live your life, your doing actually does matter. It either contributes to the life of your soul or it detracts from it. So he says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, just let me pause here for one second. What's he talking about, about sacrifice? We talked about it a little bit last week. I mean, it's in your Old Testament. The Old Testament talks about the sacrificial system and how the, the, the Jews had to bring in a sacrifice and place it on the altar and they would burn it up as a representation of the cleansing and the reality of God and that God had forgiven them. That was what the altar represented. But Paul says, don't offer a dying sacrifice because that's what they did in the Old Testament, correct? They gave dying sacrifices. They would kill something and put it down. No, he says this is a living sacrifice. Why? Why does that matter? Well, it matters because he doesn't want you to already get into the thinking that you have to earn God's favor. Jesus already did that. Jesus was the final dying sacrifice. Your job is to be a living sacrifice. That what you do with your life is a place for God to consume it with his goodness and presence. That's better than y'all are acting. But anyway, okay, let's keep going. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now underline this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when Paul talks about offering your body, the first place he starts isn't with what you do yet. He's first gonna talk about your mind that your mind actually is the essential element in the fire of your soul. So how do you work the fire? How do you work it? How do you prepare a place? It begins in the mind. 
It begins with how you think. If, you, if I can run with the analogy for a second, your mind is the framework in which the fire exists. Your, your, your paradigm is the framework for your experience with God. This is why how you think matters so much because how you think dictates how you live. Your life is the product of your beliefs. So Christianity, before it's about right doing, is about right believing. It's crucial that you understand that. Christianity is not about behavior modification. Christianity is about belief modification. It's changing how you think that in turn changes how you act. Man, I'm, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So reject the thinking of this world. Reject the patterns of this world. One, one translation says the fashions of this world. Do not assume that the wisdom or paradigm or mindset of the world, do not assume that the world know anything about tending a fire. Paul says, do not conform to it. You cannot afford to conform to the mentality of the world. You can't conform to its wisdom. You can't conform to popular thought. He says, don't conform to it if it's politically correct. He says, don't conform to it if it's, if it's the way everybody else sees it. That is not the way you see it. Your paradigm is shaped by the reality of heaven. That's what it means to be Christian, first and foremost. It's to, to subscribe to a whole different value structure. A whole different system. That's what Paul meant by being heavenly minded. It's saying, okay, I can't just go with what Facebook is reposting. I can't just assume because Justin Trudeau said it that it's right. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I can't just be, just because it's in fashion and everybody's doing it, I can't go that way. Paul says you can't afford to conform to the patterns of this world. Why? It says in Proverbs 14, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. See, Paul knows and the Bible contends that the world knows nothing about making fire. The world knows nothing about having your soul flourish and thrive. It knows nothing about getting true joy. It knows nothing about eternal life. The world, and let's just look at the scoreboard for a second. Like what is the wisdom of the world reaping right now? Well, it's not, it's not the best stuff. Like families are breaking apart and, and kids are more confused than ever. I had to sign on my kids' information slip this year, identify gender. I don't let my kids choose what they eat, let alone what gender they are. Like I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to rant, I'm not trying to rage. I'm just saying we cannot afford to subscribe or conform to the world's wisdom, even if it sounds right. Well, you should be able to choose who you want to be. No, not according to the Bible. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by how you think. It's adopting an, a completely different framework to operate in. And it's trusting that God knows more about fire than the wisdom of this world. You begin in your mind. You begin with changing how you think. You cannot afford to assume that the patterns and wisdom and mindset of this world will lead you to lasting life. This is what we're talking about here, right? We're not talking about being good or bad. We're talking about being dead or alive. The world does fire its way. Our approach is different. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. He says, offer your body as living sacrifices. Now, the second thing I want to talk about here. So, if your mindset is the framework in which you establish the fire, 
Then, then how else are we supposed to work the fire? How are we supposed to prepare the place? How are we supposed to get the thing going? Well, he says at one point, fan into flame, he says to Timothy. Now, one of the things I like to do with my fireplace is I like to, if it's been out for a day or two, I like to come home and I like to like open it up and get my little poker thing. And I like to brush it around until I find uh, just like one little coal. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And for me, the, the great challenge is how little do I need of paper or kindling to actually get this thing going. Like, I want to feel like Bear Grylls. I want to feel like Survivor Man just for once in my life because I'm not like that. And so I'll, I'll like get a little coal and I'll look for it and I'll, I'll get it out and I'll find just the perfect piece of wood. No kindling, no paper. That's for chumps. And I'll put it down. And then what, what do you do? You blow. Ooh. <laughs> You blow on it, and the, and the coal starts glowing. And the more you blow on it, if you blow on it right, it will eventually fan into flame. But what I've done before, though, and I, I've seen others do, is you, you, you get in there and you blow too hard. You don't know how to use your mouth the right way. And you start, and you blow it out. That doesn't work. And, and I, I know this is a crude analogy, but I was thinking about this. How you use your mouth how you use your mouth actually has everything to do with how the fire burns in your life. Now, we don't just tend the fire and prepare a place by how we think, but we do it also by what we say, by what comes out of your mouth. The Bible says that your words are not neutral, they are not static, that your mouth is either doing one of two things. It is either building up or it's blowing out. It's either building something up or it is Drawing it back. Your words are not static. They aren't isolated. They aren't inconsequential. Everything you say is creating the world you live in. That's the power of words. Uh, James at one point says that your tongue is just like, it's like, a, it's like the rudder of a ship, says in James 3. And wherever you direct it, it actually sets the trajectory of your whole life. Later on, he says that your, your words are so powerful that they're like a spark in a forest, and it takes one spark to ignite the whole, the whole forest. There's this great proverb, and it's, it's sobering, but it's also invitational if you harness it the right way. It says in Proverbs 18, verse 20, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He's satisfied by the yield of his lips. Look at this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So, so the question is, how am I speaking, and how is that affecting my soul? I've been so checked by this because, listen, I've been, I have the gift of gab, and it's, it, it can be a very easy thing for me to just throw language around. Even last night, after I'd preached this message once, I said something in the kitchen. I don't even remember what it is. And my wife goes, you need to listen to your sermon again. <laughs> like, I know, I know, this is for me. But what you say has the power to either build up or tear down your life and those around you. Your words control that much power. So the question is, with how you talk, are you, are you breathing life into yourself and into your circumstance and into your situation, or are you blowing it out? So you tend the fire by what you say. Your words actually have that power. I heard one preacher say, if you can't end a sentence with, and that's just the way I want it, don't say it. Correct? I have no money, and that's just the way I want it. No, it's not. No, it's not. Right? Like, 
Everything's breaking. I find myself, I say, you know, and some, some of us think, well, you're just, you're just speaking reality. Yeah, but don't agree with it. Like, it's not about living in denial. It's not about pretending that issues aren't there. We're not those people. We're not saying name it, claim it. You know, in Jesus' name, I want a Corvette. Kaping! That's not what we're saying. What we're saying, though, is your spirit, the, the fire of your soul is, in, is, is connected to what you do with your body, specifically your mouth. So if you speak disagreement against something, that's a good thing. Or if you speak agreement towards something that's life-giving, that's a good thing. Your, your, your words have the power to either build up or tear down. Paul says it probably the best. He says, let no corrupting talk, Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, including you. Are your words giving grace to you and others around you? Are they giving grace? Are they throwing fuel on the fire? Are they blowing into it or is it blowing it out? I've been so checked by this. To me, it's a, it's a real sign of maturity if I can bridle my tongue. And the Lord's been working on me in this for years, and I'm still working on it. But can I, can I like, give up my right to have the last word? Can I give up my right to be right? Can I give up my right to say what doesn't need to be said? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only that which is, which is for building others up. You need to work it by what you say. Number three is this, if you're taking notes, so you work the fire by what you think, you work the fire by what you say, now you work the fire by what you don't. Work the fire by what you don't. Now here I'm talking about everyone's favorite D word, discipline. I'm serving up a spiritual meal here. Eat your carrots, kids. Discipline. What's the principle of discipline? Like, how does this affect the fire of your life? One, some, once in a while, I'll come home uh, in the winter, and we do have a fireplace in our house, and I'll come home to my lovely wife, Melanie, and she'll tell me, hey, I tried to get the fire started. Don't know what's going on. It's just not working. Now, my wife's got lots of gifts. Fire is not one of them. And uh, so I'll come home, and I'll open the fire up, and I'll find it, and she'll have, like, logs haphazardly thrown in there, the residue of, like, 100 newspapers— and no room for anything. It's like it's just jammed full of stuff. So what I do is I start over and I take everything out and then I neatly place strategically the wood. So why? So it can get air. So it can breathe. Here's a reality that I face and you face and our culture faces is this. The reason some of our Christian lives do not flourish is because we are stuffed so full of stuff that there is no room in our stove for the air of the Holy Spirit to get in. That's probably one of the greatest reasons. You're not, you're not doing anything wrong. It's not an issue of sin. It's not an issue of disobedience. It's just that you have no space for God to be God. And I find God challenging me not so much with what to add to my life, but what to detract from it what to take out. How do I create space for the fire to ignite and, gr and grow more and more? If I, if I need to flourish, if I want to flourish, if I want my soul to ignite, it's going gonna, it's gonna to matter what I don't do as much as what I do. What you choose to abstain from. And you need to understand something. It's not an issue of sin. See, the question I think we, we, we it's, it's not wisdom. We ask the question, you know, is this right or wrong? You know what? God already dealt with your right and wrongness in Jesus. So the question is not, is it right or wrong? The question is, is it beneficial? Is it wise? 
We're having grown-up conversation, y'all. You ready to grow up? We're going to start walking in Jesus. Is it wise? Does this decision, does this thing in my schedule, does this conversation, does this relationship, does it bring life or does it smother the fire? That's the whole idea behind discipline. That's the whole idea is carving out space. Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, he says, you say I'm allowed to do anything. But he says, I say not everything is good for you. It's not about, are you allowed? You're saved by grace. We've established that. But the question is, it's not about, can you get into heaven? The question is, how much of heaven can you get into you? That's the difference here. It's not about, will, will God give me entry to, to heaven? No, it's by grace that you get entry. But I'll tell you what, you have to start clearing out space for heaven to dwell here. And there's going to be things that you have to say, you know what? That's not wrong, but it's not beneficial. That's why I've gone through seasons in my life where I've just felt like God was asking me to take some stuff out, like take off my plate. You know what? Right now, Brent, I, I need you to just give up TV and I need you to, to make some more space. I need you to get up early in the morning. No one likes to get up early. If you do, there's something wrong with you. But the reason we get up early, like we said in the song, like early in the morning, my song will rise to thee. Or like, like that something happens when I say, God, I want to give you the first of my day. I want to clear that space out so that you can ignite that spot. And so God will have me just taking things out. So, so a lot of your life, a lot of the Christian life has a lot to do with what you don't. That's what holiness actually is. Did you know that? Holiness is about being set apart. It's about being different, not for the sake of making others feel worse. It's about you having decided that I need Jesus more than I need that. I need Jesus more than I need that. And it's about removing stuff from your life so that there's space for God to dwell. That's how you work the fire. That's what these principles, these old Christian traditions, that's why you come to church on Sunday. That's why it's important to fight for it. That's why it's important for you to fight for it on your calendar and to fight to bring your kids here with all the crazy schedules and school is not caring about whether you have church or not and sports aren't caring about that. So that's why you fight the good fight and you say, listen, I will, I will make sure that God has space in my family's schedule to be God. And that's why we have church on Sunday. That's why the early church said, first day of the week is God's day. It's the Sabbath, belongs to him. It's where we say, God, when I lay out my calendar, I want you first. That's, what, that's the principle behind tithing. It's to say, God, when I lay out my finances, I want to place you first. I want to give you room to bless the rest. That's what this is all about. So it's crucial that you understand that your life, that God will very likely be asking you to give something up that isn't necessarily sin. Celebrate that because like Hebrews 12 says, it says, don't, don't, uh, don't, reject the Lord's discipline. He's actually treating you as sons and he's about to bless you. Hebrews 12, 1 says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let's throw off everything that hinders that in, the, the, and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's throw it off. Here's a question I'd ask for you before we wrap up. Is there even room in your life for God to dwell? Or is it filled with so much good stuff? It, may not even, it might not even be sin. It might not even be an issue. It might not even be destructive in nature. But I'll tell you something. You can have too much of a good thing. And that if you are going to flourish in God, it will mean the diminishment of some other things. It absolutely does. 
And I find that the people in my life that I have been most compelled by and the people that I've seen carry the most anointing and they have the most just vitality and they flourish the most and they burn the brightest, they're people who just don't have a lot of other stuff. They've kind of got a very narrow framework in which they operate. You see, God just continues to trim the fat off of us. And that's what this is about. D is for discipline. We're having fun? I'm going to wrap up here. So, I'm, uh, listen, I, I don't, if all we do every week is you come and you get excited and you leave, the fire is going to go out. If all we do is we come and we worship and we hoot and holler, which I want to do that every week, I love it. But if that's all you do and we don't give you the tools as to how to build the fire so that it stays going, we are failing. I don't want baby Christians. I want to be people that when you leave this place, you go out into the workspace and you burn. That your, your fire just doesn't ignite on Sunday and then go out and your Monday through Friday, you're wondering where Jesus went. I want you to burn where you go. I want people to see it. I want them to feel the heat. I want them to know that there's something different about you. And so that's what this is about. So here's the last thing. So let me recap for taking notes. Here's how you tend the fire. Here's how you work it. Here's how you prepare a place. You do it with how you think. You do it with what you say. You do it with what you don't. And now here you, here's the last one. You're gonna, under, you're gonna know where I'm going. You do it with what you do. It says, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. In your doing, do it as an act of worship. This is about obedience. This is about doing what God has asked you to do. Again, now don't get, fall into, is this about me getting into heaven or not? No, 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 no. This is about God growing your life in him, and it does come down to obedience. Now, if, if your mindset is the framework and your words have the power to ignite and, and we're talking about just preparing the right place and getting the useless stuff out of there, what is obedience in this word picture? Obedience is essentially every time you're obedient to God, every time he asks you to do something, every time he calls you to something, he's essentially putting a stick in your hand. And he is giving you the opportunity. Just like Abraham, when he said, go to the place I tell you and sacrifice your son, I was calling into obedience. And just like that, though, they had to grab the wood and they, they were getting ready for God to do something. And just like that, every time God asks you to do something, you're essentially given a piece of wood and that when you do it, when you say yes to God with whatever he asked you, maybe he asked you to stop doing something, Maybe he asked you to start do something. Maybe he asked you to have a conversation. Maybe he wants you to start giving. Maybe he wants you to start serving. Maybe there's someone he wants you to reach out to. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. The Christian life is not built by one moment, but it's built by yes, God. Yes by yes by yes. Active obedience, active obedience, active obedience. Yes by yes by yes, the fire grows. God asks you to do something and you do it, it's like throwing wood on the fire. When you say yes to God, you are expanding the flourishing fire of your life. That's what obedience does. Obedience is just like kindling. You see, the mistake I think a lot of us make is you look at my obedience and you think, okay, I gotta be like that. Or you look at someone else's obedience, but here's the good news. God isn't after you living up to my obedience. God is after your next yes. And the people who live great lives of faith, the people who flourish and burn brightest, they aren't people that just God showed up one day and said, hey, Billy Graham, 
tomorrow, you're going to have 100,000 people in a stadium and you're going to see them all saved. You're going to do that tomorrow. And he's like a kid. That's not how it works. The Christian life is lived yes by yes by yes by yes. And they're usually small little steps. But as you throw wood on the fire, it just starts expanding and growing and burning. So here's the question. I guarantee, I guarantee God has placed a stick in your hand. If you've given him your life and you said, God, I want to follow you, he has given you a next step. There is a next obedience in your life. I guarantee it. There's something that God has asked you to do or not to do. There's something that he's calling you to. And you either said yes or no. And here's the thing. When you say no to God, when you, when you disobey God, you're essentially closing the door. And you're saying, that's good. And what happens is at first you don't really notice it. It's not like you say no to God and God says, fine, and he takes the fire out. What happens is you close the door and you stop placing new fuel on the fire. And over time, the flame grows a little brighter, grows a little, grows a little less, a little less, a little less, and a little dimmer until someday it might go out, God forbid. And if you know somebody in your life, or maybe you had a season in your life where you just left altogether, I guarantee you, you, you trace that back to some fork in the road where God said, come this way, and you said no. But I'll tell you something, just as easy as it is to, to close the door, you can also receive what God asks you to do. And by yes, by yes, by yes, the fire grows. One time Jesus was teaching and he was just blowing people away. And, and someone shouted from the crowd, you know, blessed is your mother, which is just kind of a weird thing to say. But what she was getting at was, you know, blessing is in having an experience where you're up close to Jesus. And yeah, that's a blessing. But Jesus said this, he says in Luke chapter, I don't remember, but it's on the screen. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, is it 12? Anyway, he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word and obey it. The blessing doesn't come in mountaintop experience. Blessing doesn't come necessarily in having a, a moment where you're face to face with Jesus, although that would be awesome. But he says, actually, blessing comes by the simple little acts of obedience stacked up every day. That's what it looks like to offer your body as a living sacrifice. How big is your sacrifice? How many yeses have you thrown on the pile? That's how big the fire will grow. I think what happens, though, for a lot of us is why, where this deteriorates is we hear things about obedience and we, and we just always go back to this, well, I have to do this so that I can be in good grace with God. That's not what this is about. Remember, by grace you have been saved. So what is obedience about? Obedience is about experiencing the fullness of God's blessing today. Did you know that God's commandments are not to take from you? There's going to be a voice in your head and in your spirit that when God calls you to do something, maybe it's something, maybe it's abstinence. Maybe some of you are in a dating relationship. You say, God, God's, I know God's calling me to, to, to honor this and wait till marriage. And there's a thing inside of you that says, God just doesn't want me to have sex. But that's the lie. It's not that God wants to take sex away from you before marriage. It's that God wants to gift you with a great marriage. And on the other side of every commandment, of everything that God asks you to do, he is waiting to hand you a gift, a blessing. That's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who hear the word and obey it. This is about your blessing. 
If you can shift that in your mind, it changes everything. If God asks you to do something and you make it your assumption, oh, God's about to bless me, it changes everything. James says it really eloquently. He says in James 1.25, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, you don't forget what you heard, but you do it, then God will bless you for doing it. Your life flourishes yes by yes by yes. What is your next yes that God is asking you? And we lose sight and we think God's trying to take from me. God just, I come to church and they talk about money and they want my money. God doesn't want your money. God wants to bless your money. Oh, you know, I, I come to church and they, you know, he wants, want me to forgive that person. I just can't. God doesn't want you, God doesn't want you to have to forgive so you can just let somebody go. God wants to bless you with freedom. Do you understand? Like on the ever, on the other side of every thou shalt not, there is a that you may. On the other side of every no or every do this, there is a so that you can. There is a blessing on the side of every commandment. You need to get this in mind. This is the only thing, because here's where this whole idea of holiness deteriorates. We stop doing it because we lack incentive. We start thinking that something else can bless me better than God. But if you can turn it and make your assumption that if God's calling me to something, he's trying to bless me. Why? Because I know he's so good. That's what fuels it. So the next time you're tempted and God says, don't do that, assume blessing. Next time God calls you to do something that's a step outside your comfort zone, he's like, I don't know if I can do that. Assume that he, if he's trying to give you, make you take a big step, he's trying to give you a big blessing. Every act of obedience, every yes, is throwing fuel on the fire. The people in my life that rage the most, have the most burning fires, are just people that have been simply obedient step by step by step, and they have learned to be quick to say yes because God blesses me when I do it. Here's a couple questions, and I'm going to wrap up. What's your mindset today? Have you allowed the patterns and customs of this world to dictate what you believe, or have you let the Word of God establish the framework how are you using your voice? How are you using your words? Are they building up or are they tearing down? What's your calendar look like? What's your life look like? What does your values and the things that you're doing, is there room in your life today for God to ignite it? And what's your next yes? What's the next thing of obedience that God would ask you to do? Now, I don't know if you saw it, but I wanna, I, this is my favorite part of this whole thing. And I, I want you to write those things down. That's awesome. But here's where it all rises and falls, begins and ends. I don't know if you saw it, but let's go back to verse 1, Romans 12, verse 1. You're going to see how the whole structure of your life is built. And Paul has it sandwiched. He has this whole offer your body as a living sacrifice. Don't conform. He has that sandwiched within something. Watch it. I don't know if you noticed the first time. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... So before he even talked about offering your body as a living sacrifice, he says, in full scope and view of God's mercy. So let's just make the foundation of this conversation about God's goodness. He says, before, we, before I even tell you what I'm going to say next, 
in view of God's mercy, in view of his goodness, in view of his grace, in view of his kindness, in view of the fact that he, he is God of the universe and he has been good to you, and good of the fact that his mercies are new every morning, in view of the fact that he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, in view of the fact that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, view of the, in full view of the fact that by grace he has saved you, that he's only ever good, in view of that, Offer your body as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This is your true act of worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed with the renew of, renewing of your mind. And then he says, okay, he's got the foundation of God's goodness. He's got the, the middle part. We're building a sandwich here of, of what you do. So the foundation's God's goodness, your action. And then he tops it off. He puts the top on it and he says this. Then you'll be able to know what God's good and perfect and pleasing will is. You'll have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So holiness is founded on and funded by the goodness of God. And if you leave here thinking, my job is to go out and just be better, you are destined to fail. But if you leave this place just establishing the full view of God's mercy, if you keep it at the forefront, what happens is all of the striving and stuff and difficulty and hardship of tending the fire, it just falls off. This is what he meant in Romans 12, where he says, listen, we do this by, or Hebrews 12, we do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You have one job. Keep Jesus in full view. In the morning, keep him in view. In the conversation, keep his goodness in view. Whatever you do, whether he's calling you to do something, the trick is that the goodness of God is the foundation and the funding for a life that thrives. It's about God's goodness. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Here's my, one, my, my three, word, three word message. God is good. Would you stand with me? I wanna pray for you as we live this out. God, we praise you today. We thank you that you're good. Lord, I pray that you begin even right now to transform how we think about you. Would you transform our scarcity and our orphan mind that would think that you're trying to take from us and that you're trying to withdraw from our lives? And Lord, would you establish once and for all in full view of your mercy that whatever you're working out in our lives, you're doing it for our good because you're good. Lord, would you establish under our feet the foundation of your goodness? Lord, as we, in our coming and going and doing and saying, Lord, would we operate funded and fueled by the fact that you're being good to us, and everything that you're blessing us. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would raise us up like never before. Would we learn to, to get up in our faith and start walking the walk of faith, start burning wherever we go. Lord, would you show us how to use our minds and would you show us how to use our words to build up. Lord, would you help us just establish the space in our lives that you can burn and you can grow our fire. Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us in our doing that every simple yes, every simple act, we would view it as a fire stacking in God's blessing in our lives. Lord, would your goodness shine bright before us? Would it be the foundation under us, I pray? We just say that you're good, you're holy, you're nice, you're kind, you're perfect, you're matchless, you're merciful. God, you love to give us good gifts. You never stop blessing us. Lord, would that never leave the framework of our vision, we pray. In the mighty, matchless, good name of Jesus and all God's people said.